Um, all right, we're going to be reading from Numbers 20 today. Uh, so if you want to open up your Bibles to Numbers 20, that would be awesome. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you. And in the Pew Bible, Numbers 20 is on page 240. Um, while you're flipping there, uh, my name is Adam Darbone. I'm the pastoral intern here at High Point. The senior pastor, Nick, is on vacation at Disney World with his family in Florida, which is great for him. Because, not because Disney World is particularly great, but because Florida is warm. It's not warm here. Um, and uh, I, I'm the pastoral in here. I've been here for about six months, as you might have guessed, since I think it's cold. Uh, I'm actually not from Wisconsin. I'm from uh, the San Francisco Bay Area originally in California. I went to school at UC Davis and graduated about six months ago and uh, came out here. So with that, let's get started. So this is Numbers 20, verses 1 to 13. In the first month... The whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, and they stayed at Kadesh. There Miriam died and was buried. Now there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had died when our brothers fell before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this desert, that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grains or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so that they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered together the assembly in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. These were the waters of Meribah, where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord, and where he showed himself holy among them. One of the most viscerally terrifying feelings in the world is that the thing that you are counting on has abandoned you. Let me give you an example of this. Uh, in last July, I was, uh, I was, I went camping and fishing with Nick up in northern Wisconsin. I had just gotten here. Nick's been here about a year and a half. So we decided we wanted to go explore. Uh, and so we brought Nick's dog, Samwise. That's Samwise. Samwise is a beautiful Samoyed. Um, and a really cool dog, but not a particularly useful dog, right? Yeah, like Labradors hunt and bloodhounds do the search and rescue thing. And Sammy's soft, but that's about, that's about it. Um, and so he would not survive very long in the wilderness on his own. 
Uh, and a couple days into our trip, Nick and I were fly fishing our way up this river, and Sammy was playing behind us, 50 yards or so behind us, and uh, in the river with leaves and sticks and things. And uh, Nick and I kind of worked our way around this bend in the river so that we were out of sight of Samwise. And uh, about a minute and a half after we'd worked our way around this bend, uh, we hear this just high-pitched, pathetic howl. And I have never heard Sammy howl before. And, I, and since then, I've never heard Sammy howl. Um, but he just, he let out this incredibly loud howl and he just kept howling and howling and howling because he looked around and realized that we weren't there anymore and thought we'd abandoned him and left him. And, uh, and so, and then, and then we saw him come sprinting up the shore beside us and then into the water and he scared all the fish away. And uh, <laughs> we were basically done fishing there for a while. But, but Sammy thought we had abandoned him and so he was terrified. And I think, Sammy's a dog, but I think that this feeling is a visceral response and it's one that we can sympathize with. That, that kind of terror is built into our fabric. There's a, there's a visceral response to the idea that we are alone or abandoned by the thing that's supposed to protect us. And uh, Sammy freaked out for the same reason that a kid learning to ride his bike can't ride his bike anymore once he realizes his parent's hand is gone from behind the seat. And for the same reason that we don't like being alone in strange houses that make weird noises. It's this feeling that we are alone or abandoned, that the thing that's supposed to protect us is gone terrifies us. And this is exactly the fear that the Israelites deal with in this passage. The Israelites are terrified that God has abandoned them and that they're alone in this desert to die. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we deal with, we deal with that fear too, that one that once we were walking with God and God was with us and those were good times, but now we're just not so sure anymore. It feels as if God is distant or gone and he, it feels as if he's jump shipped and abandoned us and left us alone. And so I think we can learn two things from this passage in Numbers about from how the Israelites and God interact. The first thing we can learn is that the illusion of abandonment comes from spiritual amnesia. And then the second thing is that we can remember that God has already proved that he won't abandon his people. So first, the illusion of abandonment is spiritual amnesia. Your fear that God has abandoned you grows in the soil of foggy memories. Look with me at verse 3. They quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this desert that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grains or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. Wham, right? Like, right? Like, I read this passage and I just— Quit whining. And, um, and uh, that's an appropriate response, I think. But if we, if we look at why they're whining, they actually, the Israelites here actually 
do have legitimate reason. There's lots of reasons, lots of places in the Bible where they don't have legitimate reason to be whining. But this seems to be one where they have more, more cause to be complaining and worried. And so let's look at why that is. Because it's not that the Israelites don't believe that God can save them from their thirst. It's that they don't, they, they don't think that he will Right? It's not that they don't, it's that they don't think that he will. And so, that he won't. And you can see it because he, they ask God, why did you bring the, or they ask Moses, excuse me, why did you bring the Lord's community into this desert? They still define themselves as the Lord's community, as God's people. They just don't think that he still sees them as God's people. They just don't think that God still does. And so they're, and they're complaining that Moses has led them away from God. Because they've gotten to this place, Kadesh, and, uh, which is normally an oasis of water in the desert. This Numbers passage is from the 40th year of the Israelites' exodus. The Israelites wandered in the desert for 40 years. This is the 40th year. And in the 39 years previous to this, they've actually spent a good bit of time at Kadesh the Bible tells us. And um, so they've been there before and they've gotten water there before. And they know it's an oasis where they should be able to get water from. And they get there and there's no water. And so logically, why is there no water? Well, because God isn't providing the water because Moses has led them away from God. And so he's no longer providing for them. And so surely they'll die. And so this fear is not actually all that unreasonable. Um, it, it, it makes sense unless you know the history of the last about 50 years of Israel. Right? See, if the Israelites had remembered the last 50 years, they would not have felt like God had abandoned them because they would have realized two things. First, they would have realized that slavery in Egypt was ruthless. And second, they would have realized that God provided water to thirsty Israelites before. And you might wonder how they could possibly forget those things. They seem like pretty big things to remember, but it's, as it turns out, it's just how our, our brains work as humans. Um, an MIT brain scientist named Jeremy Wolf, he looks like an MIT guy, I think, uh, <laughs> um, discovered when he, he, was, he was studying brain, he, he discovered that when remembering the past, our brains actually don't remember entire memories. Our brains remember certain points in a memory and then basically simulate in between those points so that when we want to recall those memories, basically our brains can only store a certain amount of data, a certain number of gigabytes, and, and memories, full, full memories take up a whole lot of space. And so what you've got to do is you've got to remember parts of a memory, and then what you, when you want to harken back to that, you remember back and you simulate through it, and so then you can remember the whole event. Um, it's, it's the reason that if I asked you, for those of you who are here on Christmas Eve, if I asked you what color shirt Nick was wearing, you wouldn't be able, we'd, if I asked everyone there, we'd get 20 different answers, right? And, uh, you know, some people say they wouldn't remember, but some people would be sure he was wearing a red shirt, and some people would be sure he was wearing a white shirt, and it's because we're simulating in between. And uh, 
And so the Israelites, because of that, the Israelites have forgotten things over the last 40 years. They've forgotten what Egypt was really like, and they've forgotten how God has provided for them in the past. And what we need to realize is this is not an Israelite problem. It's a human problem. It's a problem with the way our brain works. And, uh, and so that means for us that if we're going to break through the, the illusion of abandonment, we need to remember rightly what, what the past was really like and how God has provided for us. Um, because we misremember the ruthlessness of the past and we also misremember God's provision as the Israelites did. So first, we need to remember clearly what Egypt was like. The Israelites make Egypt out to be a great place to live where they have plenty of water and grapes and pomegranates and figs and grain. Um, but if we look back in Exodus, Exodus says, the Egyptians made the Israelites' lives bitter with hard labor in brick and mortar and all kinds of work in the fields. And in their hard labor, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. Egypt wasn't that good, right? But the Israel had forgotten what Egypt was really like. They had remembered the best things and then had compared them to a particular circumstance in the present. They had selective memory, and so they forgot what Egypt was really like, and we do that too. Um, I'll give you an example of this. I'm six months out of college now, and I moved to Wisconsin, and as much as I like Wisconsin, uh, <laughs> some of you laugh. You guys aren't, must not be from Wisconsin. Um, as much as I like Wisconsin, I look back at my time in college at UC Davis, and I, and I often think about how, just how great Davis was, what a phenomenal place it was, how much I loved it, particularly in comparison to Madison. I, I look back and I, um, I think about all the, all the great friends I had in Davis and, um, and all, the funds I ha- all the fun I had at sporting events with my internship and how it was warm enough to go outside in shorts and like, but... And then I compare it to Madison, and it's cold, and, and making friends from scratch again is not all that fun. And, but that's a selective memory. If I really think back to Davis, I mean, Davis was great. Don't get me wrong. But if I really think back to Davis, I don't think about what it was like my freshman year, making brand new friends from scratch, and the loneliness that that created. I I don't think about getting chewed out by my boss at my internship, and I don't think about the days where I biked to class in the rain and the wind. I don't think about those. I think about laying on the quad with my friends my senior year. It's, It's a romanticized view of the past. Because I have a selective memory, and so do you. That golden age, right, where, where things were simpler and God was really with you and life was just great, wasn't really that. It wasn't really that. I mean, have you ever talked to a mom who has a 25-year-old son about when their kid was a baby? What do they always say? Oh, that was such a great time. It was, he was so cute and just such a good kid. Oh, time just flies by. That's, that's all true, right? I suspect. I'm not there yet, but... Um, but what, they, what, what you don't hear them talk about is the nights that they, they slept three hours, like, for th- four weeks or 
three years in a row, right? And they, they don't, you don't hear them talk about the thousands of nasty diapers they changed while their kid was screaming their head off, right? They, that's, not what you, that's not what they remember. It, it's a romanticized view of the past, a selective memory. And we all have selective memories, and that's not a bad thing, except when you begin to compare it to the present. we've got to remember clearly what Egypt was really like if we ever want to break this illusion of abandonment we have in the present. And then the second thing we need to remember is we need to remember God's provision. The Israelites thought that God, was, that God wasn't really with them in the desert because they were thirsty. But what they forgot is that God had miraculously provided water for thirsty Israelites before. Um, there's a, this passage in Numbers is from the 40th year of, of them wandering around in the desert. But in the first year they wandered around in the desert, there was, uh, there was an almost identical occurrence. Israelites are thirsty and they need water. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it to you. It's from Exodus 17 because it's eerie how similar it is. Um, so this is Exodus 17, 1 through 7. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, traveling from, a pla- from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, walk on ahead of these people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you at the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Massah and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? Forty years earlier, the Israelites are dying of thirst. But it was not because God wasn't with them. It was not because God had abandoned them, right? But Israel had forgotten this. And we forget also how God has shown himself in the past when we thought we were abandoned too, right? For instance, I'm currently inwardly stressing out about what I'm going to do next year. My internship goes through June, and I've got a lot of—I've got like five or six different options of what I might do next year, and I have no idea which one I will. And— and I, I mean, I don't know where I'm going to live or where I'm going to go to seminary or how I'm going to pay for seminary or any of that, right? And, and so inwardly, I'm freaking out about it. Um, but a year ago, this time a year ago, I was freaking out about the, literally the exact same things. I was leaving Davis. I was six months out of leaving Davis. I knew um, something was next. I didn't know what. I had five or six different options. And... Um, and I, and I was stressed out about where I was going to be, and then God provided this internship, and it's been great, and it was, it was a year ago. How could I be worried now, right? Because I've already forgotten. 
in, in less than a year, I've already forgotten how God provided. And, I, and I've chalked it up to dumb luck or something that I've I made it here. Um, friends, it's our natural state to forget how God has provided in the past. And if we want to break free of the illusion of abandonment, we need to remember the past rightly and, and how God brought us through that. Uh, and so how, how do we do this? Um, we do this through what church people like to call spiritual disciplines. Um, and uh, so first, we, we remember what God is like in principle. By, we remember his character by, um, by reading the scriptures. We, we, we need to be reading the scriptures and, and looking and seeing what kind of God he is. What is his character really like? What is he like in principle? And then second, we need to remember what God is like in practice. Remember the impact that he has made in your life and the ways that he has brought you through things in the past. And we can do, th- do that through things like prayer and community. And the best way to do that at High Point is to, um, is to join a small group. Uh, we've, there's more than 70 small groups that meet at High Point. They meet um, every day of the week. And um, so, so join one. Join, join mine. Mine meets on Wednesday nights. It, um, it's led by Paul and Barb Morin. They're right there. They're awesome. Paul has like a racetrack in his basement that we played with for like an hour last Wednesday. J- join a small group. Scripture, these spiritual disciplines of scripture and prayer and community, they're not simply spiritual busy work. They're ways for us to remember rightly what the past was really like. Remember what kind of God we have and how he has brought us through things in the past. So first, the illusion of abandonment. Um, to break the, lo- the illusion of abandonment, we need to remember what the past was really like and how God brought you through it. You need to break the spiritual amnesia. And then second, but second, that begs the question, right? Will God really come through this time? Right? Just because God came through before doesn't actually mean necessarily that he's going to come through again, right? And herein lies the great encouragement of this passage. In this passage, God proves that he won't abandon his people. Look with me at verse 12. Um, but the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough— to honor me is holy in the sight of the Israelites. You will not bring this community into the land I give them. And then, and then again in verse 13, there were the waters of Meribah where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord and where he showed himself holy among them. Um, all right, you see where it says holy among them. Well, you don't because it's not up there, but... Um, when God says the, where the Lord showed himself holy among them, that phrase holy among them, it's three words in the English. It's actually only one word in the Hebrew though. Um, and the, the NIV actually, it does a good job translating it. That's, that is what it means. It means holy among them. Um, but you might ask, what does that mean? And uh, it could also be translated consecrated to them or dedicated to them, right? Or sanctified to them. Um, 
it's, it's one word in the Hebrew, though. You, see, you can't actually separate the fact that God is holy from the fact that God is among them. He, he's not holy and he's not among them. He's holy among them. It, it's one word. And so the whole, and this is the whole point of the passage, that God is unswervingly holy among his people, unswervingly dedicated to them. Okay, when we read this passage, did you wonder why Moses and Aaron get punished in this passage and the Israelites don't? Isn't that, like, isn't that weird? I mean, the, the Israelites are the ones that are quarreling and complaining with God, and yet Moses and Aaron get a harsh punishment and the Israelites get water. Why? Verse 12 says, Moses is punished because he did not honor God as holy in the sight of the Israelites. And Psalm 106 says it is for Moses' rash words that he's punished. So somehow Moses' rash words do not honor God as holy in the sight of the Israelites. And so we got to look at what Moses says, right? Which is verse 10. He says, listen, you rebels. Must we bring water out of this rock? Must we bring water out of this rock? I'm sorry, who's bringing water out of the rock? According to Moses, it's, it's he and Aaron. Right? And so in claiming that responsibility that he, has, that he and Aaron have brought water out of the rock, he, um, he takes away and does not show the Israelites the very thing God wanted to show them, that he is dedicated to them, that he is holy among them. Right? He, that he hasn't abandoned them. The, this entire episode is about God showing them that he's dedicated to them. And then Moses takes the credit, right? Uh, when I was growing up, my dad and I did a lot of fishing. And uh, one, once my, my brother and I got to a certain age, there became this rule in our house that, um, well, we're in the campsite, I guess, that whenever, whatever fish you caught, you had to clean. That, um, that that was your responsibility. Any fish you caught, you had to clean. And so... Um, and it, you know, it took me forever at first to clean those stupid trout. Oh, and it, and it, like, it was, it was never real good. I could never get all the scales off and it was a disaster. It took me forever. And, but imagine this, imagine if I'm cleaning one of these trout at some campsite and some guy walks up to me and, he's, and he says, he sees that I'm struggling with it. And he says, oh here, and cleans the fish for me, does it real quick, does a, be, a better job than I would have done, right? No problem, right? I mean, he, he, the job got done. The fish is cleaned, right? Well, no, because the goal wasn't, the end goal was not really a clean fish. The end goal was that I would learn how to clean a fish. And it's, it's the same thing here. God's end goal is not simply that the Israelites would have water. It's to teach them that, that he will always provide water for them. And, and they're going to get water because of that. But the, the end goal is to show them that he won't abandon them. And so, when, and so when Moses takes the credit, he's punished. But notice when, when God decides to teach this lesson, or rather how. It's in the time of the Israelites' greatest need, their greatest feeling of abandonment that God shows them that he will never abandon them. 
And uh, I want to pause here for a second and just say, if you are here and you're not a Christian, you're, you're just, you're not sure about the whole Jesus thing. There is a God out there who has proven that he won't abandon his people. The God of the Bible did not abandon you. In fact, instead, he sent his son Jesus to die for you so that you could follow him into the promised land. And, and look, I'm not going uh, to sugarcoat it. It's, it is not always easy to follow him. Sometimes it means trekking through a desert, thirsty, and it's, it's gritty. And so this seems like an odd invitation to ask you to come from wherever you are into some desert, but he has already shown that he won't abandon you. He's already proven that he won't abandon you in those times and will one day bring you into the promised land. And so I invite you to join those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus, that those of us who have already made our way into the desert as we trek together toward the promised land. Um, and for those of us who are Christians, realize that we are God's people in a desert time. Realize we are the Israelites. You wouldn't know it because it's freaking cold outside. It doesn't feel like a desert. Um, but we are God's people wandering in the desert between the, wandering in the desert between our deliverance from slavery and our entrance into the promised land. God sent Jesus to deliver us from slavery from our sin, and he has done that. And he has promised that one day he will usher us into his kingdom, into the promised land when he returns again, but that hasn't happened yet. And so for now, we are God's people in the desert. And sometimes it's gonna feel like we are dying of thirst and like we can't wander anymore, like God has completely abandoned us and we are alone in this desert. And it would just be better to turn around and go back to our slavery because at least in our slavery we had water. But friends, remember what it was like to be a slave to sin. Remember rightly and completely those days that you're longing for and remember what God has done for you. See that the faithful God who brought you out of slavery has also proved himself holy among us, dedicated to us when he sent his son Jesus to die for us. And on that day, he proved himself holy among us. And then he raised him from the grave and he made him the rock from which living water flows. 1 Corinthians 10 says, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were under the cloud and passed through the sea. They were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Friends, we are not abandoned by God. We are the people of a God who has proven himself holy among us, dedicated to us, who gave us Jesus, the rock from which living water flows. Look to Jesus for what you need and keep walking the dry miles between Egypt and the promised land. Let's pray. Father God, you are a holy God among us and um, you have proven yourself time and time again dedicated to us and uh, not more than the day that you sent your son Jesus to die for us, to lead us out of slavery. And, um, and Lord, we, we readily admit that uh, we, are, 
we are sinners and we are unfaithful and um, Lord, we feel as if you have abandoned us, but that is not, it's not that you've abandoned us, but it's that we just don't remember. And so Lord, we pray that, um, that you would remind us, that you would show us, that you would provide us the living water from the rock of Jesus Christ uh, in this desert, Lord, so that we can faithfully follow you as you lead us toward the promised land, Lord. And uh, Father, what a glorious day that will be. Uh, we pray all of this in your name, amen.